Living in the light is the message title, so I want to look at verse 5 first, and I want to look at verse 8 to give you the two, the beginning and the kind of uh, the end of the message. In verse 5, down at the bottom, or in verse 5, let's begin, this is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you that, and we could all say it together, God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. And then in verse 8, after Jesus, through John, talks about this new commandment that He gave the disciples, again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in Him and in you. John says this, this commandment is working wonderfully in Jesus, of course, who introduced it to us, and in us, and he gives the reason. Everybody together? Because the darkness is passing away. I'm not hearing voices. Everybody together? Because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Now, you know that John is not talking about physical light. not talking about lamps and lights and candles and not talking about the sun. He's not talking about the reflection of the sun on the moon. He's not talking about daylight. He's not talking about any of those things. He's talking about spiritual light. He's talking about spiritual daylight. And so, in order for us to kind of get into this, I think it's important for us to read the introduction and pull out three words that are going to matter for you and me. This will determine how interested you are in what we say next. If you'll look at verses 1 through 4, which is the introduction of 1 John, you'll notice that John starts off with a word that kind of leaves a little bit of a mystery there because we don't figure it out until we get to the end of the introduction. We pretty well know where he's headed with this. But instead of saying who, he begins with the word that. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. And by the time we get to those three words, we say, I know, John, exactly where you're going with this. You have just identified the Lord Jesus Christ and have called him the word of life. The life was manifest, and we have seen and bear witness and declared to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. The three words would be life. And if you put together all of the words that he uses in the introduction, you can say, you know, he's talking about the eternal word of life who is Jesus. And Jesus offers us eternal life. Now, if you care about that, if eternal life is a concern of yours, if you believe that there is life after death, if you crave it, if you have that desire in your heart to want it, because the Bible says He has built eternity into all of us. 
I look at the animals out in the forest and I ask myself the question when they're running around in the forest. I don't think they have no concept of eternal life. I, I, don't, I don't think the animals have any concept of eternal life. They have a concept of surviving. But you and I have a concept of eternal life. None of us want to die. All of us want to live forever. And the Bible says we can because Jesus offers eternal life. If that matters to you, if you're not among those few that are in so much darkness spiritually that they don't care, then our prayer is that that circumstance would change for you. The second word is in verse 3 where the Bible says that I have written all this to you, says John, so that you may have fellowship with us, that you may have fellowship with me and the other disciples and other believers and other churches, and, and that's what we want. We want to have fellowship together, and truly our fellowship is not just between us. Our fellowship is what? With the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, if you care about that, see, our responsibility on Sunday morning is to give to you an opportunity to worship. I love testimony songs, and there's lots of them in the hymn books, and and we sing them all the time. But I kind of sprung that one on you this morning for, for, for you. For me, you died. Change the words, you know the chorus. Because for me, he died. But we turned a testimony song into a worship song so that we could sing it in fellowship with the Lord. And that's critical to me. That's, and it should be to you as well. And if you care about that, you'll care about what John says in the rest of his book. If you do not care about that, chances are you probably won't be that interested. And then number three, not only does he talk about eternal life, not only does he prime the pump with our fellowship with the Father and with his Son and with each other, and you say, how does that work? The disciples had intimate fellowship with Jesus when he was here on this earth. But the Bible says that we have fellowship with the Father and the Son spiritually. Right? He's here. He's here. Not in physical form, but He is here. And then then He says in the end of verse 4, He says, And these things we write, we not only write so that and share this with you so we can have fellowship. But we also write these things to you that your joy may be full. And he doesn't say that you may be joyful, just that. He says, I want your, we want your joy to be full. Well, how can it not be if you have eternal life in the Son and you have fellowship with the Father and with His Son and with all of us who have the same common faith? How could our joy not be full? Well, John wants to make sure it is. And so he writes to us and gives us some indications on how to make sure that happens. Now, I want you to see what he does here in chapter 1. I think the daily Bible reading in 1 John is, is uh, that's tomorrow. Is that, well, it's, this, it's very close. But right now. 
And uh, I want you to see what he does here. I want you to see what he does in verse 6. He says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, do you see that? He's giving us an apparent contradiction. Uh, it's kind of like me saying to you, man, boy, that Thomas Edison, he was a great guy. He invented the electric light bulb. And can you imagine if he hadn't invented the electric light bulb, we would be watching TV by candlelight. <laughs> you'd shake your head and you'd say, what on earth is he talking about? What a contradiction. Say, well, already in verse 6, we have a contradiction. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, look at verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, verse uh, 4 of chapter 2, he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments, verse 6, he who says he abides in him, and I notice that half of these give you the contradiction. Half of them leave it wide open for you to put in your own contradiction. But they're all about contradictions. They're all about confusion. They're all about the inability to get it right, to get it straight. And that sure would affect how you feel about verses 1 through 4, and certainly it would affect the fullness of joy that you and I could experience. Let's look at the first one for just a moment here. But before we do, I want you to take your Bible and turn with me, and, and we'll do this very, very quickly. Take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. You're just going to go back a few books. I'm going to look at this passage. We'll look at a couple of others because I want you to see that this book of John in chapter 1 and 2 is a real study in contrasts. We're talking about the difference between night and day and the attempts that we make to try to live in night and day at the same time. All right, in Acts chapter, 16, chapter 26, verse 18, just want to let you know the Apostle Paul is, is uh, stating his case He's describing how he became a Christian to King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26 in the city of Jerusalem and, uh, or in, in Caesarea. Where is he at this point? Who, who knows, remembers where he is? Well, anyway, uh, so he's, he's telling the king just exactly what his testimony is. And then when he says, you know, Jesus personally appeared to me, and when Jesus personally appeared to me, he delivered me this message in verse 18, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Now, you can add the words that you need to add. Usually in the English language, you can easily do it. English language is written in such a way that it's not like a legal document where every single phrase and every single word has to be put next to every, every single thing you read. So let me just add the words for you here. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God. There's a contrast. Now, I'll tell you something. If you have the power of Satan and the power of God both working in your life, hypothetically speaking, because I trust that 
that you and I aren't under the power of Satan, then you, you, we, we have a problem, don't we? And John is addressing this. He's being very honest with us and addressing the problem. And now go to Romans chapter 13, verses 12 through 14. Here's another contrast that should help us to understand. It should make it easier for us to see where John is going with everything here. So in Romans chapter 12, verse, in verse, chapter 13, verses 12 through 14, notice what he says. He says, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. So we're getting to sunrise here. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. All right, let's cast off the work of darkness and put on the armor of light. And then he talks about the works of darkness. He says the works of darkness are revelry and drunkenness and lewdness and lust and strife and envy in verse 13. And I hate to read, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's several hundred sins listed in the Bible. But there's 21 lists of sins in the Bible. I hate to read them. I hate to read them. Because this reminds me too much of what life is like when you're not saved. And uh, just a slave to all that stuff. But anyway, that's what he does. He contrasts the works of darkness with the armor of light. And then I want you to go very quickly to the book of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. Ephesians chapter 5, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 and following. And notice how he brings it into perspective for us. He says, for you were once what? Darkness. We were in spiritual darkness. But now we are in what? Spiritual light. In the Lord. So he says, walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is... And now here's the, here's the fruit of light. Here's the fruit of light. The fruit of light is goodness and righteousness and truth. Right? That's the fruit of light. And then in verse 11, he tells us that, there, that we shouldn't have any fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. And we read enough of those in the last passage. So see the contrast here. And you've got to have that in your mind because we want to make this as concrete as we possibly can. You, mean by, you know what I mean by concrete? I don't like abstract sermons. Um, we have a tendency to do too, too, too many abstract sermons, but I like concrete sermons where you can put your feet down solidly on the ground. That's what you call a concrete statement, you see? And so in Colossians chapter 1, which is the final one, and we're right next to it practically, Philippians, Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saint in the light. Now, had we not gone over those verses, you may have been saying, I wonder what the light really means. What does it represent? He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. All right? Now, you have an idea. Now, we still have to go to John, and we still have to figure out what he means by light in John, but it's a very simple way to figure it out now. Let's look at verse 6, the very first contradiction. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, two things we're guilty of. What are they? We're guilty of lying, and number two, we're guilty of what? Not practicing the truth. 
Oh, I think that's it. I think that spiritual light here is you and I embracing the truth. And spiritual darkness is you and I suppressing the truth. So that's the first one. He says, all right, if we say we have fellowship, but we go out and we walk and we live in this world as if we're living in the dark, we're living a side of the truth, we can add those other references and we're, we're, we're guilty of the works of the darkness and all of that kind of stuff. You can't have both. But I love it because John always gives us a remedy. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I hope that's where you'll be. You know, when I was reading this this week and, and I was preparing for this, I thought to myself, well, how many things aren't working? You know, if we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, number one, we lie. Number two, we do not practice the truth. And number three, the blood of Jesus Christ is not cleansing us from our sin. Now, I want to qualify that big time. But think about that. If you're not confessing your sin, if you're not asking the Lord to forgive you of your sin... You see what I mean? How can you even assume that the blood of Jesus Christ is cleansing you from anything that you've not asked him to cleanse you from? See the point. That's the point. Contradiction number two, verse eight. If we say that we have no sin, he could have given us another contradiction. If we say we have no sin and we just faithfully, faithfully attend church or whatever or or we, uh, we, or we could go back to saying we have fellowship with Him. Two things we're guilty of. What are they? We're guilty of deceiving ourselves. We're lying to ourselves. And number two, once again, we don't practice truth in the first, but in the second, the truth is what? It's not even in us. We have total disregard for the truth. But once again, I love what John does. John always gives us the remedy because what does he want? He, want us, he wants us to get excited about the word of life. He wants us to get excited about eternal life. He wants us to be excited about how having fellowship with each other and with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And he wants us to have fullness of joy. But what does he say in verse 9? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Move over to that and you're going to find yourself in a situation where God, God is absolutely changing your whole attitude and your whole outlook. And I would say that if you read the introduction all of the things that he mentions in verses 1 through 4 are exciting. Crave them. You want them. You can't get enough of them. Now, in verse 10, he gives us our third contradiction. If we say that we have not sinned, and you put your excuse in there, whatever one you want to use, if you say you have sin, if you say that we have, if you say you don't have any sin, but you're, you're living the way the Lord wants you to live, like you're living in the light, you're guilty of two things. What are they? 
You're making God a liar now. And once again, the third time, his word is not in you. Say, wow, pastor, this is, this is written to believers. And unbelievers alike, of course, who may be in the church. John, of course, wants to get the gospel out to the world. So he's going he's gonna to say, if the shoe fits, wear it. That's what he's going to say. But I'm hoping that when we read through these contradictions, you're going to say, I'm solidly on those positive notes. You see, like the next one. The next one begins in verse 3. Now by this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. Now listen, you and I know that we, if we have fellowship with God, the goal is for us to know Him better and better and better and better and better, right? So he's moving from the word fellowship here to the word knowing Him. If we know Him, we know Him because we keep His commandments. And then he gives the contradiction. He who says, I know Him and does not keep His commandments is two things. Guilty of two things. What? Being a liar. I'm not, I'm not saying it. That's right out of the Word of God. Being a liar and what? The truth is not in him. And then he gives the positive. But if you keep his word, truly the love of God is perfected in you. And we have time to go into all of that. But I'm hoping that that's where you're finding yourself. On those positive sides of those contradictions. How about verse 6? He who says he abides in him, who says he's walking in the light, but is not, but is walking in the darkness, there's something contradictory about that. And so he brings it to our attention. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to look at all of those contradictions and tell me what kind of a, what kind of a scenario we have here from a purely um, human perspective. Notice what he says. If we say, 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 but if we do not do, 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 then our talk and our walk don't agree. See what he's doing? You know, you can't read this because he spends a lot of time. When he talks about Jesus' remedy for all of this stuff, he really explains it well. He really explains it well. And that's what's really great about all of this. See, the conclusion that I would reach in this little section would be verses 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. And I think you understand what I mean. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment. And the old commandment was, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. That's been confirmed so many times in the New Testament in the ministry of Jesus. But then he says, the old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. But then he says again, I write a new commandment, verse 8. And this new commandment, Jesus already introduced it to us. He says to his disciples in the New Testament, you know, I'm, I'm, really, I'm, I'm really making this commandment new because I'm, I'm asking you to do something that was never asked of people to do when they, love the, when they love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and their neighbor as themselves. I'm asking you to be so in love that you're willing to give your life for each other. So that's what's new about it. That's what's new about it. And notice what he says. 
Notice what he says. Skip over eight for just a moment. That'll be the conclusion in just a minute or two. He who says he is in the light, and now he gives a practical example. He who says he's in the light and hates his brother is guilty of what? Being in the dark. Spiritually being in the dark. Now, notice his explanation in verse 10. He who loves his brother does what? Abides in the light. He remains in the light. He has fellowship in the light. He who, uh, there is no cause for stumbling in him. But then he comes back and says, he who hates his brother is in darkness, walks in darkness, and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has, has made it impossible for him to know. See what he does? Now, <clears throat> in verses 1 and following, I want to bring your attention to chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, just to throw it in there. It's kind of like the meat between the two pieces of bread. You know, I've often, we've often, you know, uh, you know the, the lily between two thorns and the meat between two slices of bread. Uh, that's, the, that's the real good stuff, you see. Look at chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And John is so compassionate in the way he writes. He is just so loving in the way he writes. He, he says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. See, he's already established the fact that the contradictions are horrible. You know, we do, we, we, you, know you can walk in darkness... You can't say we have no sin, and you can't say you have not sinned. A lot of people walking around on the earth today don't think there is such a thing as sin. You see? But he says, my little children, he's established that there is, and that we're guilty of it. He says, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone does sin, this is hypothetical now. We're assuming that you're moving in the direction where you don't want to sin. You want to get yourself out of this contradiction. But if you do sin, guess what? That's not the end of the world. You see that? That's not the end of it. You're not back at square one. You don't have to go back and live your life all over again and hope the second time around it's going to be a whole lot better and you'll find peace and joy finally. No. He says, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. We have an advocate with the Father. And what does he say next? Jesus Christ the righteous. And then he adds these beautiful, beautiful words. He himself, Jesus Christ himself, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. So if you know him, Confess your sins. If you know him, recognize that the blood of Christ cleanses us from all of our sin. And keep his commandments. Well, let me, let me just read you the applications here. I have applications here. How to walk in the light. Number one, according to this passage of scripture, embrace the truth. Don't suppress it. Embrace it. Number two, Confess your sins. Number three, keep his commandments. 
Number four, walk just as Jesus walked. I like that a little bit better than keep his commandments. Because you and I know that people don't like to be told what to do. Even when God tells us to do it. So, I, 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 I like keep his commandments. And I do that. By God's grace. But I like it better when he says, you know what, if you're struggling with keeping his commandments, why don't you just walk as Jesus walked? Because he kept the Father's commandments perfectly. So look at Jesus and just say, Jesus, I want to be like you. I want to do what you did. See? That's what I love about this. Uh, and then he gives us several others here, but I'm not going to give them to you. I just want to close with an encouragement here. I want, you to, I want you to look at verse 8 as we close here. Um, again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and you. It's true because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Amen. God is light, in him is no darkness. But the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And that's just as true today as it was then. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let me give you an illustration from our national life. Back in colonial America, John Winthrop, who, was, uh, who, who loved the Lord, sat on, he was stood on one of the ships of the Puritans coming to America back in the 1600s. He stood on the ship and he says, wow, we're going to build a nation. He says, and, and he took this from Scripture, he says, we're going to build a nation and from Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, and this nation is going to be a shining light on a hill. The whole world is going to watch us. And we're going to be a great example to the world on how to live. John Winthrop. He says, the only thing that can destroy us is if we disregard the Lord. So we get up in the morning and we go outside and we say, oh, I don't know. I think darkness is coming in on us, right? We do. Come on. Let's be honest with ourselves. We look at society and we look at all the problems. And not just here in America, it's around the world. And we look at all that stuff and we say, you know what? The darkness is not passing away. It's, croach it's, 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 it's encroaching in upon us. But John says, no, 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 no. The darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. So as much as I love John Winthrop, and I love his statement, and just a wonderful believer, I like the one in Luke chapter 178 better, where Zechariah is giving a prophecy. He's the, he's, the, he's, the, he's the father of John the Baptist. And in Luke 178, I just want to bring it to your attention where he says, oh, the Lord has given my son, John the Baptist, a very important mission. You're going to go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us. And day spring is in capital letters just like word is in word of life in John. I like it better, as you see, because what Zechariah says is, you know what? The darkness is passing away, and the light is shining. Sunrise is coming, and coming, and coming, and coming. 
and we'll be in full day, we'll be in full, the full bright day of God's light, obviously, when Jesus returns. But don't, don't be so discouraged where you say, you know what, the, 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 the true light is, is passing away. No, 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 no. The Bible tells us that the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining then, but we can say now the true light is shining. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that you'd encourage us with this wonderful book. Thank you for giving it to us. And Lord, we just ask in your precious name that we be reminded of what you have done for us in order to save us, in order to promise us eternal life in order to take away the contradictions that make life so difficult to live because we don't have the joy that we need to have. Because we're not right with you. Maybe because we don't even know you. Gracious Lord, we just pray for you to open our hearts. In Jesus, your name we pray. Amen.